Hello, Short Game listeners. If you're new to the show or new to Life is Strange, this episode may not be the place to start. Uh, This week we're covering Life is Strange, episodes 3, 4, and 5, sort of a wrap-up. We've done separate episodes on Life is Strange episode 1 and 2 previously. We'll have a link in the show notes. And you can check those out on our website, www.theshortgame.net, or in your podcast app. Because we're covering three chapters of the game, this episode's also a bit of a long one at about an hour and 30 minutes. If that's not your bag, please join us next week when we're going to be talking about Undertale, another really awesome game that is going to be a little bit more the typical short game format. Back to the show. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show where we talk about short video games, the kind of things you can complete in an evening or a weekend, or in the case of our topic this week, Life is Strange, in many evenings over the course of nearly a full year. Uh, I'm your host, Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by Laura Nash. How are you doing, Laura? I'm doing excellent. A little, you know, emotionally wrought, thanks to this game, which I completed tonight, but... um... That fresh emotion will benefit this podcast. Well, I hope it's not too raw. And uh, and Nate, how are you doing? Having finished it uh, last week, uh, a little bit better. Um, I'm expecting, Laura, for your sake, we'll take several cry breaks. Um, <laughs> if you need to let it out, I understand. Um, Tears all over the mic. I've been getting all of my crying done. Uh, so I, I, I'll try to keep my cool... If you haven't been playing along with us, we initially started playing Life is Strange when the first episode came out, and we were pretty enthusiastic about it. We did an episode on the first episode. We did an episode of this show on the first episode of the game, and we also did another episode when the second episode of Life is Strange came out. Maybe then, we should say chapters. Yeah, <laughs> that. Well, we, we kind of fell off the wagon with that, and with some good reason. Um, first of all, it was coming out at a time when there was a lot of really interesting stuff coming out. And also, and this is going to sound kind of odd, Life is Strange is a really mixed bag. I think this is one of the best games this year. Maybe maybe one of the most important games of the year. But it's also not a game without... You know, we're... we're we're going to be talking about some of its, you know, talking about it warts and all. This is a game that has some pretty notable problems with many parts of it. And I think that that sort of piled up. And right around episode three, I started losing some steam. And then episode four came out and it completely engrossed me. And so I think overall, with the sum of its parts, Life is Strange is a really fantastic episodic adventure game that explores things that very few other games I've seen have explored. The sort of relationship between uh, two young women, the different uh, types of teen angst that we see (laughs) dramatized, some really scary stuff. It's a really, really solid and interesting game with a lot of little caveats that overall don't completely detract from the experience. But as a way of explaining why we didn't have an episode on episode three or episode four, why we've kind of jumped to the end and now we're doing a kind of a wrap-up episode, uh, it's kind of because it's a little easier to talk about the game as a whole than any any individual element of it, which is a little, you know, if you focus a microscope on this game, it, you can you can see a lot of cracks. But taken as a whole, I think it's really important. Yeah, and if this is the first time you're listening to the short game or the first time that you've listened to an episode on Life is Strange, go back and listen to the first two because we're going to basically, everything is a spoiler because we're starting 
halfway through the book. I was a person who somehow started reading Harry Potter at book three. Weirdo. Well, accidentally. <laughs> I didn't. It was an accident. Um, and so... What do you mean? Wait. What do you... Like, you tripped and accidentally read the third book of Harry Potter out of order? Or it was you... a prop in um, Oliver the Musical, and I read it backstage. <laughs> uh, yes. Thank you very much. Not knowing that there were other books in the series. <laughs> but anyway, as someone who's entered a series midstream, don't... Start your life as strange experience here. Play the game or listen to the first two episodes, then listen to this one. Yes. That's your PSA. Yep. But definitely play the game. Yeah, absolutely play the game. We're not going to spend much time about how the game works like we might normally. Yeah, we went over all of that stuff early on in episodes one and two. Yep. Uh, so <laughs> if you're interested in our take on that and a little bit more sort of catty discussion of some of the early game plot, go back and listen to those if you want. By Neptune's beard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to add on to just to kind of follow up with Reagan's point is like I, I, another reason I do think that maybe we lost steam a little bit is that I would uh, just if I had to rank the five episodes or the five chapters, sorry, I do think that probably the second one, the one that our last episode was about was probably my least favorite of the whole uh, group really? too. And I think the, yeah, and I think they just got stronger. Definitely. Uh, I think the first, I think the first one was fantastic. Um, and then I, I, I don't know how I would rank. Um, three, four, and five, but I would probably put two at the bottom, and I, and they kind of uh, address it a little bit, and we'll get to it in the in the fifth episode. There's a kind of a tongue in cheek joke about one of the worst parts of the second episode. <laughs> yep. Um, but I, I I think that I I really liked five. I think four um, might be the best one. Um, but we'll kind of get through that as yeah. we. So structure wise, I think we're kind of just going to. St- talk our way through the three episodes that we haven't talked about on this show already. So um, starting with episode three, and we're not going to talk about every every detail of the plot. We'd never fit that in. We'd be on this podcast all night. But starting with episode three, I think this was a really strong one. And I don't think it, but I think where I said that I kind of lost steam after the end of episode three, I think it was because of the ending. We'll talk about the ending in a second, mm-hmm. but I think the beginning and middle of episode three were really strong. Yeah, I do too. Um, it definitely resolved some of the issues from the second episode, which just to go real quick with what I think what we're kind of beating around the bush on the issues was that like they kind of forced in some maybe adventure gamey stuff that probably wasn't necessary little quests that felt like just quests instead of a real reason to explore because when life is strange is working really well they're forcing you to explore but you don't feel like pressure or stress about it like you're happy to be exploring whereas some of the stuff in the second game and in the first game uh it got to the point where like, okay, where are these damn things that they want me to find? And I do think that for the most part, they they removed that entirely. There were a few a little fetch quests, I guess, that I got a little hung up with on uh, the final chapters of the game. But for the most part, I was not nearly as frustrated as I was ever again with the second chapter. And the third chapter starts out pretty strong. Yeah, the third chapter has a lot of built-in recovery exploration where you get a return to that first episode freedom where you're really just exploring your campus, talking to a lot of people. Um, Everyone's kind of recovering from, depending on your game, Kate's death or Kate's attempted suicide. And so there's a lot of, you know, it's a sunny day on the quad where everyone is trying to pretend like 
there aren't portents of ominous doom everywhere, and someone didn't just try to commit suicide. Um, there's yeah. literally a bird covered in swirling ants. Oh, yeah. Well, it's those kinds of moments, I think, you know, where the game is just sort of letting you be in the space and, you know, walk up to people and talk to them or hanging out in a room listening to the radio or, you know, any of those sorts of more quiet moments of the game where I think the game is really at its best and it's doing something that is is more unusual. Like, this game is a murder mystery. It's a sort of pseudo-science fiction Piece, you know, with time travel and you know, magic or supernatural powers. Um, you know, it's a relationship story. All of those are really important to what this game is. But those moments where you're just l- like being a teenager in a space that feels, you know, at least moderately authentic. That's like unusual. Like that, those those moments are what really makes the game for me. And it gives you some nice opportunities to sit on a bench and stare at squirrels, or to, you know, lay on a bed in Chloe's room and and watch her do whatever it is that she's doing on her computer, or all those sorts of things. Those are really great moments that a lot of other games just don't give you. Yeah, this game is built to breathe. Mm-hmm. It just reminded me too of something uh, that kind of funny that happened to me. So. Uh, yeah, as as Reagan is saying, you know, like there's a lot of moments where you can like sit on a bench and like a nice song plays, usually some indie like folk song. Um, like literally, there's a Bright Eyes song, which was a little too much on the nose for me. <laughs> but um, there was a uh, really really early at the beginning of chapter three. There's that moment where you're laying in bed next to Chloe, and that song is playing, and it'll just let you listen to the song and just it'll keep showing different angles of the room and different angles of the sunlight and everything, and you know, if I hadn't said it yet, um, both Laura and I have both played three, four, and five in the last week. So this is all very fresh. To Whereas us. I played um, them all as they were coming out, and so that episode is a little farther in my past at the moment. But I still remember that scene really well. Well, and I had forgotten some of the mechanics of this game, namely that that stuff happens, and you have to press a button to get out of it. And so I actually sat there for not a really long time, but probably longer than most people watched that scene. I did too. <laughs> I forgot what button to press, and I sat there, yeah. and I was just like, oh, I wonder when Chloe's going to start talking about the next plot development in our murder mystery, and then I was exactly. like, this song's pretty nice. I think it's Bright Eyes. And then it's on oh, loops. I can press B. Yep. B for Bright Eyes. So I'm glad I'm not alone on that. There's a lot of really great, like, um, you know, mystery team, investigate the the school, investigate you know, investigation team kind of stuff going on in this episode as well. And it feels really like fun and you really kind of see the relationship between Chloe and Max. Um, Max can be a little annoying on her own as this sort of, you know, kind of, I, I, I think there's a potential for her character to be a little annoying, but paired with Chloe, a lot of those scenes, like you see her caring about her friend in a way that that I think really makes both characters richer and more interesting. Max literally runs around telling everybody why she thinks they're great, which sounds like a great thing, but it's actually kind of annoying. Oh, yeah. Like, bless you, Max, but I, every time I want to talk to Justin the stoner, 
about the murder mystery, not about how he has really nice, you know, hair and <laughs> smiles all the time. There is no one that actually talks like Max talks. And I know that it's supposed to be like she's dealing with a ton of shit right now and like she can see infinite realities and like she knows that time is precious. But <laughs> yeah, she'll like go up to just like the, a random person and just be like, I need to tell you right now how important everything in life is right now while you're <laughs> drunk and specifically you because you're so great she's a college student who just read proust for the first time it's like <laughs> yeah. like have you tried a macaroon it'll change your life like she's garden state manifest i love max but yeah i do too and you said that every that max can be annoying i would contest that literally every single character can be annoying oh yeah yeah um, but it's fine like this game does and like there's no character that um that is like you completely likable but there's also no character uh that is like 100% unlikable except for maybe Nathan but of course uh, as we'll learn like also literally every character has like some redeeming quality except for one I know we're not holding off spoilers but I will I'll hold off the the main spoiler for now <laughs> There were a number of important choices and scenes in chapter three. And just to kind of skip through some of them, you know, you, you explore Blackwell at night, which was was great. You know, you're exploring a, a, an area that you've been through before, but now in a different context. And it had one of my favorite With your uses. smartphone flashlight. Oh, that was really cute. Holy, and, and that is a bright light. Dear God, it was it lit up like that entire anywhere you would go. Yeah, and the uh, the my favorite use of her rewind power ever was the the puzzle with the bomb where she had to go and collect some stuff around the school to build a bomb to blow the door off of the principal's office. But then because she was able to walk into the principal's office and rewind to before she blew the door off, she essentially teleported into the uh, into the office and opened the door from the inside while Chloe was still sort of fiddling with the lock I, I loved that scene that was a super clever use of the mechanics and the uh like adventure game thing like go collect these items and then make it where you didn't actually do any of that but you you solved it that was great yeah and it wasn't it wasn't annoying like it was like okay you're gonna go fetch the stuff from the science room but because it was it was you know it was just a well-designed little piece of adventure game and i did like that it gave you the opportunity to build a bomb in your school, and then undo that action. They also keep it kind of light while you're building a bomb in a school by uh, having Warren text you the whole time. Ugh. Did, did anybody like Warren? Like, am I the only person here who, like, consistently from beginning to end of this game thought Warren was, like, kind of lame and intrusive and... Like, his whole M.O. was like, I'm this super nice guy. Why doesn't she notice me? Like, ugh. Um, I don't know. I thought he, I, I kind of liked Warren. I don't know. I see, like, but uh, like I said, everyone is annoying. Yeah, the only thing I called Warren out for was when I was looking in his file, and he has a 4.0, and I was like, nope, no way a science dude actually is that well-rounded. Like, mm -hmm. if science is your life, you don't give a shit about English class. Like, I knew yeah. science kids. I'm dating one. Like, you probably would have, like, a 3.7. That's but. your problem with Warren? <laughs> Good 
good guy. Absolutely. <laughs> the game tried to make Warren so perfect. He, no, they tried really hard to make him likable, and it just made me, like, hate him more. Like, everything about him. Ugh, I just hate his stupid face. Man, He I, got pretty yeah, drunk that... later and was really a bad drunk, so that was kind of endearing how stupid of a drunk he was. Well, I, I was kind of glad that it, you know, it, it never forces you into a sort of a romance track with Warren. Like he seems like he's the obvious, if you're playing, um, if you're playing Max as susceptible to such charms, he seems like he's the only viable romance option in the game, but it never pushes that angle. And my, my Max noped off of Warren like real hard, like every option it was a no, 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 thank you, Warren, go away. Whereas I, I think there was a clear romantic association with Chloe, and I actually bought that angle. Did you guys play or there, see it that way? I bought that angle and was super disappointed because you can actually even kiss, kiss Chloe at one point mm-hmm. as kind of a joke, but the game really backs off of it. Well, it it doesn't. It doesn't. Like their their relationship is clearly like the most important thing in both of their lives. But it's also like maybe that's really not that. Like there there are some hints that it's clear that like they're thinking about this stuff, but they're also going through a lot. For example, like if you do kiss Chloe, there's some later on. There's some things in Max's journal where she writes things like uh, I I wish I had kissed her again or things like that. So it's clear that it's on their minds, but it's also like. I was okay with it not being a story of a life-changing romance. I was okay with it being a story of a really intense relationship that hasn't really moved towards romance and maybe is more just like a a really, really deep friendship. I think they it was more obvious that Chloe perhaps wanted that type of relationship more than Max. And also may have sought that type of relationship with Rachel. Well, I think also that Chloe was right. was hurt after losing Rachel. And, you know, she wasn't ready mm-hmm. to move on. So I, I think them pushing into that would have been too soon. The The face, uh, face animation in this game is definitely not great. Um, but there was the scene uh, when they're in the swimming pool. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it is pretty much 100% Chloe making the eyes at max like over and over and over and i don't and i think max being pretty oblivious to it oblivious yeah just not noticing in the slightest i I thought it was pretty at least at times pretty heavy how chloe was feeling um and i think they were trying to play max as like that is something that's happening but it is on the scale of things that are happening it is very very low on her things to care about right now yeah, it can be rough sometimes when a game wants to keep a romance option completely open that it ends up kind of watering down both options because yeah. I think you could play this really strong pro Warren or really strong pro Chloe, but if you try to do that, um, the game has to be indifferent in some ways. Yeah, and and it, it kind of has to come to nothing either way in order to keep the game open for every type of play. Yeah, I'll say that I played both of them. Um, Pretty heavy to both Warren and Chloe. Uh, I I think partially just out of like I want to see what this game like that that to me was the more interesting gameplay option, you know. Um, but I don't know. It's like they're teenagers. Everyone's playing everyone every way, so why not, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
or to kind of put a point on it, I played them both pretty hard, and it ultimately didn't result in very much at all, except Mm-mm. for some, like the the game provides a lot of decisions that they treat as if they're going to have a heavy effect, which they do by, you know, like that, like everything goes kind of red and it's making that like whirring noise. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I think, I don't think nearly all of them are as important as other ones. It's funny because of course, being the short game all about the romance, we're focusing (laughs) on this, but most of chapter three is a breather. It's, Taking a break between a suicide and um, a ability to jump into photographs and see yeah. alternate timelines and stop your friend's dad from being killed. Yeah, that was insane. So I um, I was actually really um, skeptical about this towards the end of Chapter 3. So the, in- the entire ending of Chapter 3... We've done all of our sleuthing, and this this chapter may have been the longest one. Uh, towards the end, we go mm-hmm. into a photograph. Max discovers her new power that she can focus on a photo and literally jump back into her past self at the time that photo was taken. And she jumps all the way back to her childhood on the day when Chloe's dad went out to pick up mom from work and got hit by a car and was killed, and that's sort of the inciting incident that caused Chloe's life to spin out of control and has led to her, I don't know, being a little punk shit. Yeah, well, <laughs> like, literally, like, the scene before this is um, Chloe having found out some things about Rachel. Um, she's, like, screaming about how her life is shit because her dad died. How timely. <laughs> Yeah, so then moments later we find out that we can actually go back to the moment and save William, Chloe's dad, from dying. So then, of course, you do that. And there's a couple little adventure game things, which is fine. They're they're kind of they're kind of I fun. loved that look back at what Max and Chloe's relationship was like when they were children. Like so I drew I did appreciate this scene for that. Mm-hmm. Um, that scene was great and it was really it was really sweet and charming and, and you saw some of why they were so important to each other. Uh, but then, you know, we we save William by keeping him from going out that day. And then we flash forward into the present and the whole universe is different. The whole, uh, you know, the whole timeline has been changed and Max is a different person and everything around her is at least subtly different. So Max seems to have, you know, with Chloe having been around, uh, Max never left to go to Portland, and she's now a member of the Vortex Club. If you look through her phone at this point, there's all these shitty text messages. Like, Max seems like she came out as a real shitty friend to everybody. I don't think so. She just has shitty friends, but she's not a shitty friend to them. That's a good She's point. Victoria's, she's one of, one of them, you know, and like, the text messages. But she's been a are, shitty friend to, yeah. um, to uh, Chloe, like you look at, like she hadn't responded to Chloe's text messages for months. <laughs> yeah. Like it's kind of shitty. And and she goes to find Chloe and see what happened. Like you know to to reunite with Chloe now that Chloe presumably has a dad again. And that's where we get our cliffhanger ending. Chloe yep. comes to the door and is in a wheelchair. She's a quadriplegic and she has you know no motion below the neck and. Um, she's overjoyed to see her friend who hasn't visited her in a while, 
but that's that's our final moment for the for the game and I, or for the for the episode and I was I was pretty upset about this partly because I thought okay now we're going to now now everything that happened up to this point is wiped away or this is going to have to get rolled back and then why did we bother mm-hmm. like the whole like jumping into photos and changing the timeline in these like I loved being able to rewind small amounts and you know experiment with the choices that I was making as I played through the game but this idea of like let's shift to an entirely different timeline felt like I was kind of being uprooted and I didn't know where the game was going at this point and also I didn't totally love the direction of now Chloe's in a wheelchair and the game is portraying that as like a dun 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 <laughs> yeah that's... I mean I was super excited about um the tiny rewinds because it was kind it was exploring the power of choice which is something that not to go all feminist theory, but something that ladies are not given a lot of in games. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, actually being able to say my choices matter and I get to choose what I'm doing and experiment with it was amazing. Going into an alternate timeline where the whole world has changed as a result of your little action was super butterfly effect. And the lesson has to be in every science fiction universe that changing the past is bad Mm. like you step on a butterfly you get 18 hitlers like (laughs) changing the past is terrible no matter what so like when she changed the past and came to the door and chloe was in a wheelchair i was like well that um is going to teach her never to go back in time because your friend will have a dad but is going to be you know there was no way that Chloe was going to come to the door happy and normal. Yeah, yeah, that's really true. And and it was kind of disappointing that it 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 played out that way. Like that that was the moment that I was like, "Damn it, life is strange." Like I I was I, I was pretty upset about this ending of this of this chapter, and not in the "Oh no, poor Chloe" kind of way. Like I didn't really love the way this chapter ended, and it made me less excited about chapter four. But I'm really glad I stuck with it because I think chapter four was my favorite chapter of the entire thing. Yeah, absolutely. But before we move on, are there any decisions you want to go through from chapter three? So the choices at the uh, so at the end of every episode, it presents you with your choices. The choices from Chaos Theory, which was the uh, the third episode, were you either stole or left the money what did you guys do i left the money oh, i you, left the money you, me too we're all such dorks well i so like i thought that i'd, I'd be like uh that what was the final total it was for like, the handicapped stats? fund yeah, yeah and if it was the principal's own money i probably would have stolen it but it was for the handicapped you know it it kind of it kind of really called back to that when you found out that um, that the principal wouldn't spend the money to install ramps in the timeline where Chloe was injured. Like, where did that handicap money go, actually? For me, at that point, I was, like, really in, like, crime-solving mode. It was, yeah. like, the last thing that these guys need is, like, some heat on them. Good point. You know, because some, somehow it would come back around or something. So it's like, we're solving a mystery, uh, a murder mystery. Five grand, important, don't get me wrong, but... Not right now. In totally. the words of Nathan, keep those pigs off you. Yeah. Well, like, uh, Max can time travel, get money later when it, like, you can do whatever you want for money. Right now, though, 
Probably not the best time. Side note, Max used to find a casino because she can just rewind time and bet on the winning number. Oh my god, why didn't they do that? Side note, Max needed to relax the whole time about everything because she can because she can time travel. That was there were so many times I was just like, you need to get over this teenage angst stuff and this like, does he she like me stuff because you can time travel because now you are literally you, a god now. Move on. Yeah, you could be president if i could time travel i would just take naps all the time <laughs> six naps an hour naps are a, a type of time travel just to the future and like a half an hour later and you're still groggy that's an excellent point i would nap <laughs> rewind time and then go outside my room and do stuff yeah mm-hmm. yeah so after that we had an opportunity to kiss chloe and 79 percent of people did i know that i did mm-hmm. because because they're adorable together and it's the most it was the most interesting selection yeah it, it was i i think choosing not to do that would m- makes you a boring person um you also have an option to either side with david or with chloe in the confrontation that happens and that one actually i didn't, didn't really stick out to me it looks like 84 percent of people sided with chloe so did i why th- these choices i guess were less meaningful and less split than the other ones there is definitely i would say the majority of selections they do a good job where the the decision will be like plus or minus 10 from like 50 percent yeah this one had fewer of that though particularly the next one which was who decided to either let frank's dog run into traffic and be killed or keep the dog from being hurt and if you let the dog run into the street and get run over by a car and you could have done something about it, you're a monster. What is wrong with you, you monster? Pompadour. You let I mean, there's Pompadou lots of dead killed. animals. Ugh, I know. Laura, did you kill the dog? No, I didn't. No, I'm just saying, like, you have the option to, like, let a bird run into a window. Like, there's lots of times in this game where you could kill animals. But don't. I know. Eight percent of people did, and I think that's a fascinating look into our society. Eight percent of people are monsters. I actually think it's eight percent of people who replayed the game and wanted to see what would happen. Yeah, yeah, that may be right. It's really, yeah, that's what it, it's down to. It's like, uh, who will you be in yeah. this video game? I'll, I'll let you guys in on on a little secret. My wife killed Pompadour. <laughs> she, run she, i know right? run reagan she, don't walk she's run. been playing she's been playing max as kind of a bad girl the whole time as we've discussed on past episodes and um and that's been an interesting side of the game to see because i wouldn't have seen for example how the scene with frank shakes out with pompadour dead but it's uh it's very different or you just say frank shut the door yeah <laughs> Which is a solution. Perfectly if you don't fine kill solution to uh, to prevent <laughs> Pompadour from attacking you. And finally, you have a choice about whether Chloe has a gun or whether Frank has a gun. Which didn't feel like a this episode choice, to be honest. I feel it, like I made it that was up pretty minor. last episode. Actually, there's a lot of guns that get passed around. There are at least two guns, yeah. and they can be in the hands of multiple different people. Something I thought was kind of interesting is that the the scene we'll talk about in a little bit um, with Frank, which I think is one of the most interesting scenes in the game, just from a technical standpoint, um, the where they go talk to Frank at his uh, at his trailer. Um, Chloe can have a gun, but it could be two different people's guns. She could have David's gun, or she could have. Um, 
what's his name's gun? Um, Nathan. Nathan's gun, depending on how yeah. you play. So it's it's very easy for her to get a gun, or she could have no gun at all, and it could be one of two different guns in the game. I thought that was a pretty interesting. Uh, I don't think that I recognized at like in those moments that like these guns were a specific finite object that were being passed around. It kind of always seemed like there's a gun in play. Like anyone at any point could have a gun. Yeah. So we leave chapter three and move on to the great big shocker at the end of chapter three and moving into chapter four. Uh, We are in our different timeline and uh, we're hanging out with Chloe, who is now a quadriplegic and I really thought that the way that these like flashback in time through a photo kind of things were going to work was going to be like just a brief like let's just flash back to the past and then we'll flash back and everything will be back the way it was but nope this is your life now uh, and you're totally different and Chloe's life is totally different and this actually this scene well series of scenes this first almost quarter of the episode that you spend in this alternate timeline where Chloe is now disabled and has, you know, serious health issues. Like she's very, her life is seriously in danger, right? These scenes were, were like won me back over. Like I, I was, I was a little bit checked out after the end of the previous episode and the way that these scenes were handled, like it worked for me. Like it was, it was sweet to see, Chloe and Max sort of coming together again, like, and and for Max to see all the ways that she had hurt Chloe and or could have potentially hurt Chloe in this alternate timeline and how that related to the way that she had hurt Chloe in, in her original timeline. Like, their kind of reunion was actually really sweet. I mean, off-screen, Max is terrible always. Like, before the start of Life is Strange, uh, episode one, Max had abandoned Chloe for several years. Even this version of Max has abandoned disabled Chloe for at least a year and a half since the accident. Mm -hmm. So Max, when she's not on our screens and telling everyone how great they are, is a terrible person. That's the first lesson. Um, The second lesson is that um, Chloe hates podcasts. (laughs) That was hysterical. I could punch your face right now. A podcast? Uh, yeah, everyone has a podcast now. People fall asleep with Blade Runner. Lots of life lessons in yeah. this chapter. Obviously, like this scene, there's not a lot of like plot action going on. We kind of understand from the beginning that what we're seeing is an alternate timeline, and eventually we're going to have to get back to the main one. So no choices you make in this section of the game really feel that weighty, but it's a really good moment for characterization and just sort of, you know, telling of the story of these two people and their relationship with each other. You Um, do get to make one decision that has basically no repercussions, but is actually a heavy decision, which is, do you euthanize your friend or not when she asks you to? Yeah. And that's, that was pretty rough. Like I, I sat there, like there's a number of choices that I had to make in this game where I sat there with my controller and the choice up on screen and just stared at it for like a good minute and a half. And this was one of those. Um, I chose to not do it, mainly because I just didn't want my Max. I knew Max was going to be flashing back to the future again. You know, she's off this timeline. She's going to jump right the heck out of this timeline. But I didn't want her to be taking that experience of watching Chloe die with her. 
So I said no. I did say yes. Um, and I will say that I do think a lot of decisions um, became counterfeit a little bit or mm-hmm. undercut by this ability to go back in time. Because like you just said, you're like, I didn't want to do it because I knew it would affect like all that would matter is how it affected Max's like feelings kind of. Her but it psyche. Didn't actually, yeah. Yeah. It didn't really matter for the real decision. And I tried to keep it like. I guess I tried to keep it in mind that like maybe I won't be able to go back. And that's kind of how I made a lot, even though I knew because it's a game and you're going to be able to go back. But like, so I ultimately did. Um, and, you know, I don't know. She really like once they basically said she's going to die, which also undercuts the decision itself. Oh, a horribly. Bit too. Yes. Yeah. Like, I think this is Laura's point. You said it before we started recording, but uh, basically, like, it's a lot harder of a decision if we don't know that uh, Chloe's going to die. But they basically say, like, she's going to be dead very soon. So you're just, like, kind of ex- expediting it for her, uh, you know, stopping a lot of the pain. Well, it wouldn't make much sense for her to ask if, like, it'd be pretty ghastly to be, you know, for the game's message mm. to be... Um, being in a wheelchair is a fate worse than death. But Chloe could want to die. Oh, yeah, sure. No, Chloe could want to die. And I think it's actually a much more nuanced, a much more interesting choice of someone wants to die to put an end to a situation that someone not in that situation thinks is just fine. Yeah. And yeah. I think that is a more difficult choice. You may be right. And right, because if it was just like she was going to be uh, in that state in pain but alive – for maybe the rest of her life, um, that's a lot harder decision to make than like the doctor saying, well, she's probably going to be dead within the next month or two. And, and you doing this is just helping her get there faster. Um, yeah. So I did. Uh, and it does come back a little bit. Um, there's a moment later in the game where you're, you have to kind of, uh, I don't know, prove your commitment or prove that like, Chloe, shut up and listen to me. You don't know what I've been going through. And you basically say, like, I've watched you die. I Multiple like, times. You asked, mm-hmm. Yeah. You asked me to kill you, and I did it. And you don't know what that's like. And that's kind of like, she's like, oh, shit. You're right. <laughs> I will listen to you. So it does come back a little bit. Yeah, it comes up in dialogue for sure. Um, so obviously with that horrifying choice completed we move back to our main timeline we find a photo from before that you know that uh, max is able to use to go back undo her change to the past and then flash back to the present again and now she is um uh now she's back on her original timeline and then like it's a huge relief everything is kind of back to normal and max is uh, back with Chloe, and we have a couple of scenes, or a little bit of a sequence where really the tone lightens up a little bit again, and uh, and we're back to kind of investigation team. And uh, part of that is going to see Frank to try to get some crucial information um, about his drug contacts, or who he sold drugs to, or trying to implicate Nathan. And this scene, I think, is maybe just in terms of the choice mechanics the most complex in the game and i just it, it may not be the most important in terms of the plot or in terms of the characters or really anything else except that this is the most impressive technical scene in the game from a storytelling standpoint um we're we go to see frank 
and we knock on the door of his RV. Of his RV, and uh, and there are about fifteen ways that this scene can go horribly wrong, and it's a really interesting little puzzle of using the rewind mechanic to figure out how to get through it without uh, without having to shoot his dog if the dog is still alive, you monster, uh, without having to shoot him, uh, without having him stab Chloe. Uh, without all sorts of other... Oh, I never got other... that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. He'll stab Chloe to death. Um, and oh. actually, really interesting. Even if she has a gun? Well, like, in a struggle. Or maybe she, maybe he shoots her. Sorry, maybe I don't remember. Somebody gets stabbed. I think it's if she doesn't have a yeah. gun, somebody gets Ooh. stabbed. There are many, many, many ways this can go wrong. And something that's fascinating about it is that the, the developers put out a flowchart of this scene... Mm-hmm. And if you put it at full size, you have to scroll across. It's horizontal. You have to scroll across. Like it, it looks like if you were to print this out on regular size paper, pieces of paper taped end to end, it would go the whole way across your room. It is enormous. This flowchart has hundreds of nodes on it. It's the most complex part of this game, without any doubt. And I'll put a, sh- a link to this in the show notes. It's enormous. Perhaps I was just lucky, but I... Uh, kind of cut off the first four or five paths pretty quickly, mm-hmm. and then we were able to pick. You know, uh, you know, I, I probably got through it four plays to a non-violent conclusion. Oh man, I I actually had my first one. I uh, Chloe shot both the dog and Frank. Yep, first <laughs> um, one that happened, but that lets you steal the code. So yep. you needed and to fail once. You and yeah. actually, and then, you can just shoot them both and then walk away with the code and that's it that's your choice for the game if you want which i think is really bold yeah i uh and then my next one navigated it fine i and i i know i got lucky on some of them because it was like you're picking one of four dialogue choices a couple times but when i left on my second playthrough frank was really happy and he'd reconnected with chloe on a level and we had all kind of left like you know what we're all in this together. Yeah, you and know that Frank ending a- is there, but it took me at least eight tries to get through this and get yeah. that ending. In chapter two, did you try to shoot Frank? Yes. Okay, because that made it harder. Yeah, that it did same make it here. Harder. It made it harder for me as well. I just got lucky, I guess, with the because it was literally once I killed one, I killed both of them. Second one, we all left like renewed and best friends, and Frank was an ally the rest of the rest of the game yeah he's sending you helpful text messages it's great oh yeah he's awesome that scene i really really respect that scene and i think if more scenes in this game had been like that as complex as that would have made the game i think it would have been much more impressive this is the place where the rewind mechanic really paid off in just terms of gameplay like you um I, I, I was astonished at how complex this game was. And there were there were multiple things that when my wife played through it, she saw that I didn't even see. And I played through two, I think, eight possible variations. And there are more than that. Really impressive. Wow. Uh, and then with that information, you go home and have another scene that is a totally new mechanic for the game introduced in Chapter 4. Totally weird. The investigation board scene. Detective game. I <laughs> didn't dig this at first, but... I kind of see why they did it, and also I think it it grew on me. Like, did did the the investigation board scene work for you guys? It was fine. I I, I guess I I did appreciate it on a gameplay level. Like, they needed they'd been having you collect clues basically, and like Frank literally calls you like the Hardy Boys, and hmm. and I uh, 
you've been collecting a million different clues, and they needed a mechanic to tie it all together. Um, it was a little like info wally and like you know random guesses at connecting the dots. Molly actually played this scene with me, and she kind of her and I went through a lot of it together, and it was good to have like an extra set of eyes on it. Yeah, um, but like it was not very exciting. Um, yeah, but I do. I, think I wouldn't was... say that this was like the collect five bottles scene of this episode, but it was in a sense. It kind of felt like the the plot stopped moving forward while you had to. Um... It was an easy way to connect a lot of dots, though. I've done MIT mystery hunt for fun. I've done lots of puzzle hunts. This is kind of my bread and butter, and I think it would have been more fulfilling had the interface let you see things side by side. True. Um, it was very difficult to accomplish this, only being able to see um, the different you know, screenshots or the letters or elements full screen. Yeah, you had to do one at a time. You had to be like, wait, what was that one again? Yeah, Pull I took a up. lot of notes during this scene. It asked you to take notes, and I, I really – this is maybe a controversial opinion, but I think any time a video game makes you – take out a piece of paper and write, and that is not something that someone has bought into, it's a problem. Mm. Or if the first time they did that, it's the fourth The fourth the, chapter. The middle of You're the not expecting chapter. it. Because I didn't take, I, I almost never take, even on the games that we do have notes for, I very rarely do the notes. And I know what my hindrance, but that's just not something that like feels natural to me in a video game. Um, this part took me a little while, because yeah, it'd be like, wait, which scrap of paper said night like ten oh four p.m. Uh, and then there a lot of them are written in like chicken scratch. So not only do you have to pull up the uh, item, you then I would at least for me I'd have to hit that additional clarifying button that said read, so I could see it in plain white text. Absolutely, and yeah. you know there are games like Fez that say you know if you want to decode the secret language in that game, you're gonna have to take screenshots, but you opt into that. And Life is Strange is forcing that upon everybody. Um, and the interface is just not helpful. It didn't make it that hard, though. Like, it, it gave you some outs, too. Like, for example, the the phone puzzle where you were trying to figure out um, what uh, – I forget whose phone it was now off the top of my head. Whoever's Nathan. Nathan's, Nathan's phone. phone. Nathan. Where you're trying to figure out the passcode to Nathan's phone. If you failed at that enough times, it kind of gave you an out and gave you a, a different way to type in a longer code yeah. that it would just flat out give you. Yeah, so, it was like it. It really it wasn't no, that bad. Nothing but was, it was hard. Just, it, it was, was very just different than yeah. Inelegant. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't my favorite thing about the game, but I actually did appreciate the opportunity to kind of step back and say, okay, what have we learned so far? And what is it leading us towards? And what it leads us towards is the location of the barn. The murder barn. I know. Anytime you see a barn in a game like this, like, oh, this is where they're going to find the bodies hanging from the hooks. And I, I do want to say real quick what I did really appreciate about um, this stuff, this entire murder mystery, is that this isn't a case of where the player knows more than the uh, character. Like, we're learning with them. Um, so that information wasn't like, hey, I know what it is. I just got to get dumb, dumb Max to know it. It was like, we're figuring it out together. Mm -hmm. As inelegant as it was, it, it, I did find it successful at conveying the information and really, really quickly tying about 
14 different threads that we've been working on into one singular location. Like it brought all of those storylines, the surveillance, the phone calls, the text messages, everything that's all done. Now we have the farmhouse. Yeah. And I mean, everything can that start was spectacular over. and, and agreed it was cumbersome, but I think the extra level of detective work that it required made you feel like you were part of the solution. Yeah. Most places would have gone to cutscene, and I really appreciate yeah. you being a part of the decision to figure it out. And it did kind of mean that, like, once we did find out where this barn was, I was like, I'm eager to go there now, uh, mm-hmm. even though it is a murder barn. <laughs> so, oh, you know for sure. There's an right entire away, song a- called "Don't Go Into the Barn," and I was like, yeah. Oh, we're just Singing hanging out in yourself. murder barn. Yeah, it's for sure a murder barn. There was no other way it was not a murder barn. So, so let's into talk about the, the murder, murder barn. barn. We go. <laughs> and um, what was really neat, I guess, was that it wasn't what I expected at all. I expected to go into the murder barn and find um, maybe Corpses. Rachel Amber's body or something else, but we actually find a tidy little dark room, um, a little photography studio and dark room underneath this barn. And uh, our investigation team checks it out and finds a bunch of letters to and from uh, Nathan down there. So, oh boy, are we really hot on the trail of, of Nathan? He's got a secret photo studio down there for some reason. And then they find the binders full of women. Yeah. The binders full of women. <laughs> I was kind was of disappointed so given the phrase binders full of women's yeah. presence that they went with it's binders been a while. full of women. But it's been a while. How else would they categorize uh, There's a computer down there. They could be using Lightroom. Oh yeah. You're well, going to for sure have at least some binders. It's um so <laughs> we had been seeing these hints at these red binders with creepy photos uh and they you know been appearing well now we find that those are a part of this creepy photography studio underneath this barn in a bunker dun 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 yeah it's it's unclear at this point like what exactly happened but we know now that Rachel Amber got taken down into that into that studio and photographed. And there are photos of her groggy and tied up. This. And also being put into a hole. Oh, yeah. right. Oh, you God. also this see is the her moment. waking is... up and yeah. getting fiercely angry and then being put into a hole in the ground. Yeah, yeah. this is at the very end of the episode. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we, we jumped a few like random puzzles and stuff. Yeah, no fine. big deal. But like, this yeah. was the horrifying ending. Not, Not quite, the end, actually. Though. The horrifying lead up to the ending. When yeah. we find this, like, now, everything about this screams rape, right? Like, horrifying. I mean, yep. there's, there's, this is like the most deep, disgusting violation. And there's fetish photos all over the walls. Oh, it's disgusting. We see the mess down there, and there's an empty binder of Victoria. Victoria. Right. Yeah. So from so from these photos, they they notice two things. So one, there is a uh, a photo of Rachel in going into a hole at the junkyard. Mm-hmm. And two, there's an empty binder of Victoria Chase. Yep. So from there, they go to the junkyard and we have the gruesome discovery where they actually dig up and find the body of Rachel Amber, which is a terrifying moment because i don't know about for you guys i did always kind of hold out some sort of hope that maybe rachel was still alive and once that happens 
it's like, oh shit, this is for real. Yeah, and that was so upsetting. That scene was so like, like this game has sometimes uneven writing, sometimes kind of bad facial animations, almost non-existent lip syncing, but the voice acting is almost great. universally great. And yeah. the anguish in in the voice of you know of Chloe when she discovers Rachel's body underground, you know, buried in this shallow grave, was just the most heartbreaking thing. I, I was mm-hmm. like, the, they just nailed it on the voice acting on this, and that scene was just just desolating. The ghost doe that you saw in that terrible fetch quest junkyard scene um, actually has meaning. It's yeah kind of the spirit of Rachel being released. Yeah, it's, um, it was literally standing right there on that spot where her body was in one of the early scenes in the junkyard. Kind of makes the junkyard scene a little creepier too, doesn't it? Because they were sure. basically walking all over the place right where she was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that was one of the hardest scenes to watch. And also, what was a really good job about it too is that um, that was one of the hardest scenes that you had no uh, play in. You know, like, up to no, this point... Absolute like, cutscene. Yeah, like, a lot of this game, the really heavy-hitting emotional stuff was like, what do I do right now? Um, but this was happening regardless. You were just, just there for your friend, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was really well done. And from there, uh, Chloe is now, you know, we're all convinced it's Nathan. Surely it's Nathan. Of course it's Nathan. So we need to do two things. We need to go and find and destroy Nathan. And then we also, uh, this is more Max than it is Chloe, but uh, we need to warn Victoria Mm -hmm. in case uh, Nathan gets to her before we can get to him. Mm -hmm. And so we go to the party that's been being built up as, I thought the party, throughout the whole game, I thought that the party was going to be the climax of the game. Like, I thought it was going to be the climax of, like, episode five. And yet here we are towards the end. Can't possibly be that much longer in episode four. And here's the party already happening. And I was was pretty surprised. Um, And it was a little bit of a disappointment in a sense because, like, it had been being built up as this, you know, end point for the game almost and yet when it rolls around it was really just kind of a slightly shitty teenage pool party with bad lighting i know and i wanted it to be like every rave on skins where like (laughs) you feel like everybody is just soaked in amphetamines and drugs like a a teenage eyes wide shut was what i was envisioning (laughs) yes i wanted like every projection to feel like it was kind of a tattoo on someone's body and instead like you got a bunch of red lights in a pool party and a really long line from the women's bathroom (laughs) and you gotta stop Alyssa from falling in the pool (laughs) or Alyssa bless Alyssa in I would like to say every episode but if not every episode, almost every episode, Alyssa almost gets hit by something. Oh, every single one. It. There's one. There's an Alyssa, save Alyssa from something in every Getting single episode. Getting hit by something. Yeah. The best little trolley joke, use of rewind time, is kidding, you know, Alyssa gets hit by a pool noodle. Alyssa gets hit by a puddle. Alyssa gets hit by a frisbee. Like, bless Alyssa. Like, yeah. what is wrong with her? <laughs> And, and I think um, it's just like these are all high school kids. Like it is a little weird that the like the party's so built up and then you have to remember like it's kind of treated like it's a college cuz it's like a super crazy little private thing, but like 
these get kids are 18 at the oldest yeah um and probably some of them are younger than that which is a little weird when you're in the gym and it's like most people like have very little clothes on you're like this is weird because everyone's 18 or younger, and it's a video game. You get to see Reagan's favorite person, Warren, be very oh, drunk. God, he's gross. I hate him. I think you just see too much of yourself in him, Reagan. I, I agree, actually. Warren, Warren is holding I, up. I take exception Young to all Reagan, that. like you see Warren too is, much Warren in yourself. Warren is holding up a mirror to you, to you, Reagan, and it and it's hard. It hurts. Oh, Laura rough. knows teenage Reagan far too well, and so unfortunately, I'll have to defer to her on that. But Warren's favorite game is Freedom Planet. We talked. To Gross. So, uh, but you actually get to my one of my favorite um, conversations you get to have in the game, and one of the ones that's like most affected by the way that you've treated people throughout the game uh, is you try to warn Victoria about the you know the the creepy shit that might be about to happen to her. Like you, know, you go to Victoria in this pool party, and you're trying to tell her that her close friend Nathan may not be the person that she thinks he is and may in fact be planning to murder and violate her. And depending on how you've treated her throughout the game, you get really different responses and you have three different options as to how to how to progress here. So you can either not warn Victoria, you monster, um, or Victoria will either believe you or not believe you, depending partly on what type of um, what type of responses you give in the dialogue, but also on how you've treated Victoria throughout the game. And this was the biggest difference between my wife's playthrough where she was playing sort of mean girl and my playthrough where I was trying to be nice to everybody. And I thought Victoria was like my favorite character in the game. So I tried to be, I tried to be buddies with Victoria as much as possible. Um, Victoria completely believed my version of Max and, um, you know, and they had a kind of a good chat and they kind of like, you know, worked past their past differences. And it was a really interesting scene. And then in, uh, uh, in my wife's version of Max's timeline, basically Victoria just ignored your warning and told you that she thought you were, you know, stuck up and that you should get over yourself and uh, walks off and, you know, chooses to ignore your advice. Um, this scene was really, I don't know, I, I, I thought, wow, things are really starting to pay off. My choices are really starting to matter here. Yeah, I had, um, I had the same total outcome as you. Um, Victoria did believe me. I will say that I was not the Victoria cheerleader that you were, and <laughs> I, I wasn't a dick to her if she didn't deserve it, I guess, but I definitely wasn't like, Praise be to Victoria. Like I definitely, <laughs> I definitely took the moments when she deserved it to be mean. You know, well, yeah, or like sure. to put her, to put yeah. her in her place. I will say, occasionally, this game was a little transparent in the Victoria dialogue. Um, I was um, a more ambiguous person, like Nate, uh, but Victoria did say things like, "And if you remember back in a few days ago, when paint spilled on me, and then you were nice to me, the." impact of my decisions on that conversation was made so visible that yeah. it took me out of the conversation slightly but i appreciate that it came in like i love the impact i just wish it was done a little more subtly they did the same thing with the uh we talked about it in episode two with kate at the top of the roof she mm -hmm. was like it was like a robot checklist of like 
oh, but also you did this moment for me, and I will ex- say it exactly. And then also you didn't do this one thing to me, and and like they definitely like repeat back to you the specific choices that you've made, and it probably just in the dialogue could have been a little bit more nuanced. Like they don't actually have to say like you didn't take a picture of me when there was paint on me. She could have just said you've been nice to me in the past and we as players would have been like yes, I was nice. I to have you been past. nice. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to like robot checklist it back to me. Yeah, I don't think players the machines keep the checklist for us, but I do not believe as players we keep that kind of you know, one-off checklist in our head at the whole time. We we think about like we've played the character as we played ourselves, or as a nice person, or as a mean person, and so I think that there's more affordance for nuance than the creators might have guessed. Well, I think there's a certain element of this where they just want to, you know, the places where they really branch based on your choices are necessarily limited. And they kind of, I think, want to hang little lanterns on the places where your choices do matter and want to make sure that you don't miss it and think that you're on rails. Um, Sure. And I think that, you know, that's I, I was willing to excuse that because I thought that the dialogue overall was pretty good. I think this was actually a high point in terms of the writing. It's I, I agree. I think the writing only got stronger as this game went on. But it it is those little moments where they're just like saying back to you the actions that you performed felt clunky. Other than that, like three, four, and five, I've very rarely felt any detachment uh, because of the writing. So we've mentioned the creepy body discovery and we mentioned saving of Victoria. But, you know, after Victoria is announced to have won the Everyday Hero Contest, um, you go back to the graveyard. The, the excuse me, the junkyard. No, it's because you get a text message from, you get a text message from Nathan that says something to the effect of, I know you were down there. I know what's up. The, I'm uh, destroying the evidence. I'm destroying the evidence. And so you and Chloe are like, oh, shit. For some reason, we need to get to the junkyard, which I will say I'm only going to go on this for just a moment. They should have gotten the a, a someone of police authority Get involved. The cops. I mean, don't the go mo- into the murder barn. When you find call the, the police, body, you find a dead then body. Call the, the body. The uh. body is like I get I, I do at least on the narrative level. I get it. The Prescott's own everybody. Um, like you can't get the cops involved too soon because they'll cover it up. But the moment you find the body of the person that is like a huge missing person in the town, you are going straight to the police and you're saying, hey, also, Victoria Chase is probably next because of this evidence. Mm-hmm. Go get her too and put her in a safe spot. Go find Nathan. Tie it all in a bow. We got it. Like Text message mechanics are built into this game i mean you have a cell phone while you're driving to the party call the cops jesus yeah but call victoria <laughs> they they tried actually i think they tried to text victoria at one okay. point and she wasn't responding so you know like like you do when call you're the not cops a warn victorian not. person call if you don't think the cops in your town are trustworthy which they had established that you found a dead body. There is a police station that will listen to you. Uh, there's that cop that kind of sets himself up as kind of a good guy that you've talked to in the diner a couple diner times. Diner cop! Yeah. Diner cop seems to be a great cop. And like them running to the junkyard because of the text message 
like I'm destroying the evidence. It's like you, that is a stupid decision. It took me out of it too. Overall, I think that this seems like these scenes may have been restructured in some way. Like really, I don't think that if in a perfectly structured chapter four, there would be one junkyard scene. And here there are two. And why is really hard to understand. I kind of feel like maybe at the time playing it, I thought this seems odd. I wonder if maybe they had to to readjust this in some sort of a rewrite for plot reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe they did, but we'll never know. But uh, we go back and have what was the most WTF, um, ending of any of these chapters they've all sort of ended on cliffhangers but we go back to the junkyard we start redigging up rachel amber to make sure that the body is still there and that nathan hasn't destroyed the evidence and from out of nowhere um mr jefferson the photography teacher comes up behind max injects her with a drug in the neck and then shoots Chloe, or maybe in the reverse order. I'm not totally sure. No, it's your correct order, which it works out, unbeknownst to him, because otherwise Max would have just gone back in time. But because she is almost immediately not in control of her body, she can't go back in time. And what's actually is a little nice. You see her trying to put her arm up to do like the little, you know, wiggly back in time <laughs> arm movement the that she does. Thing. Yeah. Sure. Um, and you see Chloe get killed, at, or at least get shot, and then you see Mr. Jefferson's face fade to black. End of the episode. And what I, What did you guys think about this twist? I saw him and was like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I thought it made sense. I was... Um, I was a little surprised, but come on. He's been the creepiest adult the entire game, with the exception of David, but, like... He's been sexually linked to every female in the game other than Joyce, Chloe's mother. Right. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's the women, it's the younger girls, like, talking about him. And, like, there's that scene where Victoria, we see Victoria essentially offer him sex for uh the like the winning the champion or winning that contest Mm -hmm. and he like very responsibly turns her down and it was actually that scene that i was like okay they're trying too hard to make him look like he's like a really good guy um something's not right here yeah i after i finished four i did watch a few um Someone did an excellent YouTube breakdown of Creepster Mr. Jefferson where uh, by Geek Remix where, you know, for example, they don't look at a single man the entire classroom scene for the first scene. Um, only looks at what female students. Um, kind of, you know, when you start listening to Mr. Jefferson dialogue, he's always creepy. I had the gut feeling um, when you could blame Mr. Jefferson for Kate's suicide or attempted suicide. Yeah. She survived mine. Thank you very much. Yep, our mine as well. Um, that, you know, you could blame him, and I wanted to, but I didn't have enough evidence, so I didn't. And then I felt when I saw his evil creepmo face, I was like, I should have accused him of <laughs> the Something. suicide. It's just that, like, weird trope where it's like, in every episode of CSI, it's going to be like, 
the guy who was like there and seems cool and is just just a part of it. It's like who's the least likely person in this group, um, but maybe had like the right little amount of foreshadowing mm-hmm. is is gonna be the bad guy. And like, I I think what they do with it is is good. Um, I think episode five, which we'll get into shortly, is good and how they handle Mr. Jefferson is good, but I almost wish that there wasn't a, this twist. Like I almost wish that it, it was It was just I kinda Nathan. wish it was just Nathan. Yeah. yeah like and frankly like they, they spend some time in episode five kind of trying to like humanize Nathan and it's like I, that was like don't waste your breath. If like, you talk to people at the Vortex party, they humanize Nathan as well, but But like you you can't humanize him after he Undisputably, he drugged and then f- forcibly photographed and, you know, in a very creepy, violating way, and then murdered a girl. And then had a Nathan hand in not, doing though. the same thing. No, he no, did. He, he did. killed Rachel. He killed, he killed Rachel. Rachel. Yes. Yeah, because he wanted to be like Mr. Jefferson. Yes. He yes. is not a good... Like, He's 100% me, responsible not a good for person. Rachel. No. And yeah. then at least partially responsible for, um, for what happened to Kate and maybe others. Who knows? And it, yeah. like, he's, he's despicable regardless of any extenuating circumstances. And I thought that Nathan every attempt they made Nathan is still a terrible to, person. Yeah. I'm glad I suspended yeah. him. Mm-hmm. I guess I, I didn't, I did too. Uh, I did not need a twist, I guess is what I'm saying. Like this, it was fine. Like episode five is, is good, but it also doesn't need this. No. You know, like Mr. Jefferson was fine being the, the creepy, but, world-renowned photographer like it's cool he's he's a character of principal wells was a, a fine character everyone had their flaws but they also had their strengths like let the bad guy be the bad guy and let me just bring down essentially joffrey if you yeah. know like that was my uh <laughs> connection the whole time well um, i i didn't hate it but yeah it's um it's you know it's a it's a myth, murder mystery kind of thing to do to uh, to have a surprise culprit at the end. It's which is fine. Like I it it was fine with what they did with it, mm-hmm. and I still enjoyed it. But part of me was like, okay, that's cool too. I guess. So of course that leads right into chapter five, where we're waking up in the dark room in the you know in the creepy underground photography studio. And Max is tied up. Uh, oh my god, it's yeah. so violent. I mean, oh, I just okay. I don't. I find it very cliche to see this kind of violence against women, and I understand why it's important and dark and whatever. But I mean, I'm very tired of it. I'm tired of it. Yeah, like I didn't need this to happen to Max. Like, well, I mean, I, I. Like, I understand where they were going, and I also, like, certainly, like, in a game where this is happening to young women and you're playing as a young woman, there's a sort of an expectation that if shit goes south, this might happen to me. I mean, I watched and, a ton of Degrassi It Goes There, and right, I right. watched everything. I, I've seen this played out so many times, and the one peripheral saving grace of this is that it definitely tries to go out of its way to say that they were not raped. It's not specifically for that reason, right? But, but it, 
It's still fetishized. It's, it's a stand-in for rape that they felt more comfortable putting the player into. Like, I, I think that it would have been, it would have been a shocking, shocking choice to make a game wherein the player character gets raped. And no, I don't think it would have been shocking. I think it would have been really. I don't mean it would have been good no, shocking. I would I'm have been saying, shocked to see it. It's kind of dark for dark's sake. And right. I was very happy to move past it as quickly as humanly possible. And it took and so get to long to where get she, past it. Yeah. Max just needs to get back in control of the story because that's what this game is about. It's about Max making choices. Yeah. And when Max is tied up and drugged and put in a fetishistic situation, it's just boring. And it was, I think it was a mechanic too, uh, kind of like what you were saying there, is that part of it was they've made her like invincible. Mm-hmm. All she needs is a free hand or literally a photo and nothing matters. So I think part of this was like, how do we get her where she can't use her power? I mean, it's literally pumping her full of kryptonite. Like, yeah. And I just wish that they had found a different way to depower backs. Maybe, yeah. See, and that's why I don't like the, like, that's where the Jefferson thing, it's like, a, it's not Deus Ex Machina, but it's like Deus Ex, like, creepy bad guy. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like... I know. You know, and it's like, it, it did feel, like, of course. Now, one thing I will say in its favor is that I I liked how this became a sort of a desperate, clawing... Um, you know, trying to get free um, and not physically, but using her time power. So like she was in a situation where um, she not only was drugged, but had been drugged for a while. She couldn't just rewind a couple of minutes and be back out of this situation. She was in a situation where she needed to jump back pretty far. And she only had a few photos nearby. And, and in fact, very few of them. And she was kind of jumping back photo to photo. And it felt like desperation because, you know, her options were running thin. She had just a, a few Damn. photos that were accessible to her. They didn't take her any place particularly good. Like, for example, she could flash back to a photo that had been taken of her, but it was of her when she was already tied up. So it didn't do her that much good, but she was able to use that as a springboard to find some other photos that had been nearer to her in that situation. So that aspect of it, this sort of like desperate struggle to survive was something that was new in the game. And I had my reservations about the scene. Really, I had a lot of reservations about the scene, but actually it did feel like a struggle in a way that Mm -hmm. few other scenes had. I completely agree with the struggle. I just find that this particular exploration feels like I see on every CSI, every, every you know, special victims unit. It, 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 yeah. Their goal was to subvert that, I think. Mm-hmm. And it may not have been subverted properly. But I think their goal was, I don't think that they were, I, or at least I like to think that the writers were like, it wasn't like, oh, wouldn't it be, shocking to the viewer if they were if she was in this situation be like what if she was in this situation but our girl has time powers and how would that alter like that type of shitty situation um and i don't know that they necessarily execute that properly i I trust the authors on that count i just don't trust the authors to say we're going to be the adventure game that goes dark yeah 
Yeah. Um, I do I like to kind of piggyback on Reagan's like struggle. I some other good things come to fruition in this in these scenes where um throughout the game, um she had been starting to get nosebleeds and things while mm-hmm. traveling in time. And I liked how as she went back in time, uh the different scenes she went to were becoming more and more like um, messed up. She could only go through certain parts. There's just like the time goo was everywhere. And it definitely was uh, chaotic, you know, and it, 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 it definitely, there was a lot of scenes in this where as she's struggling through different situations to get out of the, um, the shitty dark room where uh, you could go back in time, but it was like 10 seconds and you'd within those 10 seconds, you had to make that decision. And if it didn't, if you didn't solve it, that person or whatever, it would end very poorly. A lot of the other time decisions you could, you know, no pun intended, take your time with it. You could go back like a minute. You could explore full. Mm-hmm. You could, you could solve stuff. This was like, go back, make a snap decision. Does it work? No, go back, make a snap decision. Does it work? No. And it definitely, um, Things are a lot, they move a lot faster in this. Yeah. And I want to give a shout out to the absolute insanity of episode five of like blood on the windows and like dead birds piling up. It's madness. And then, of course, we've got the scenes that happen when the tornado hits, where we see all the scenes of the game destroyed with people's bodies everywhere. And uh, it it is madness. And you, you begin to get the sense. I mean, obviously, this is not just an implication. It's part of the plot. Like, you, you begin, it begins to dawn on you that Max's time powers are the reason for all of the madness that's been happening in Arcadia Bay, from the whales washing up on the beach and the weird lunar thing that happened where suddenly there were two moons in the sky, the, the snow that fell in the middle of the summer, that all of these weird things, including the gigantic storm that has been heading for Arcadia Bay, all of these things are because of the sort of throwing off of the balance that, you know, Max has been doing. Um, And that becomes really key at the end of the game, that, you know, we're struggling to, you know, make this enormous effort to use the time powers to correct everything that's gone horribly wrong, to save Chloe from having been murdered at the end of Act 4, and go back and fix that, and to, to fix everything. And... It's taking such effort on Max's part that she's clearly, you know, she's getting nosebleeds, that the scenes that we're flashing through are no longer, like, fully formed, and they have that sort of photographic process look to some of them. Everything's clearly falling apart. And really, there's no meaningful choices to make in this episode until the final one. Um, It's it's a bit of a movie uh, compared to some of the previous episodes. at the very least, you're on rails way yeah. more than the other games. Yeah, there's there's things to find. There is a there's a notable scene towards the middle where you're exploring a sort of storm destroyed Arcadia Bay, and that was uh, cool. and there's a lot of little things to do and discover there. But I think what they were really going for here was they wanted this to feel like a build to a conclusion. They wanted it to be accelerating. Mm-hmm. I felt that the most forward motion this episode had was right at the beginning when Max was desperately trying to get out of the dark room. And then yep. it kind of hit a bit of a pacing wall, um, you know, exploring uh, Arcadia Bay uh, after the after the storm hit and then flashing back before that. And 
the the weird sort of interior world that she had to explore that was yeah. like a, a hallucination or dream based on your you know previous what I, choices. <laughs> I kept waiting for uh, you know what it made me think of was uh, being John Malkovich. <laughs> I, kept, yes. I kept I kept waiting for there to be like a hundred Maxes all going Max Max Maxine <laughs> Maxine. It just over Super Max. Over. Yeah, over and over and over. I like thematically. I thought that was good. Um, as like everything culminates in this like. At least at that moment, it feels like everything's culminating in this super trippy, really weird thing. And then it has a goddamn stealth area in it. Like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> it hit a That's where, wall like, right there. Yeah, playing it was a little boring. Yeah, and you know, it shouldn't and, have been. Like, it, this is this is all stuff that we could have easily gotten in a cutscene, and I would have felt better about it. Like, we got images from, uh, you know, moments that we'd been through in the game as sort of little dioramas we could walk past. Um, sort of like in-game flashbacks, and we got a weird stealth area where we were trying to sneak past creepy versions of all of the characters that we've encountered. None of that stuff really mattered to me at that point. I knew I was reaching the end of the game. I knew that we were coming to some final, like, you know, moment between Chloe and Max. And at this point, it was like, all that anyone cares about in this is Chloe and Max. Like, Max is is making herself, you know, is like hurting herself, trying to save Chloe, trying to flash back to, to bring Chloe back from the dead and all this other stuff. Like we could have had way less of it. It was filler. It was psychedelics for psychedelics, like purpose. It was like a Pink Floyd music video. So surrealism aside, what was your final choice? Oh, geez. Well, so like we, we finally get to the scene at the top of the lighthouse with the, with the, storm barreling down on Arcadia Bay. And with all of the realizations we've had, Max and Chloe both now know that all of the things that are happening, the the storm that's bearing down and about to kill everyone that they've ever known in Arcadia Bay and all the other shit that's happened is all because of Max's time powers. And Max has one final choice to make. She can either flash back to the very beginning of the story and allow Chloe to die, allow Nathan to shoot Chloe, which would presumably save the town. Or she can sacrifice the entire town, let the giant storm tear through and kill everybody in town, including the, uh, you know, including Chloe's mom, including every character we know at school, like Warren. Um, that was what really pushed me Warren, over your the favorite. <laughs> I was like, kill Warren. All right. Um, what did you guys choose? I killed Chloe. I did as well. I went the other way. Um, I mean, I had seen Chloe die many times by that point. Um, and I knew the relationship was intense, but I felt, based on Max's personality, that if she let Chloe live and destroy a town, that relationship would be forever poisoned. I see what you mean, and I kind of made the choice knowing that, like, this didn't seem like the choice that the developer wants you to make. That's one of my problems with the ending of the game, which I have... Oh, it was a clear choice. Yeah, and and it's it's even yeah. more clear in the fact that, like, if you do choose to, um, to save Chloe and let the town burn, you know, so to speak, um, the scene that follows is really short. Like, you and Chloe 
get in your truck and drive through the destroyed town, there's it's not even all that like grim, like there's no bodies anywhere. It's just like a bunch of knocked down houses and you just drive away and that's the end. And it's almost wordless. And yet, um, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's just, it's very short and it feels a little bit like the developers just saying, Oh, you want that? Huh? I guess we'll make an ending for you. But really the clear choice here is to sacrifice Chloe to save the town. I don't know. I, I thought about it for a short amount of time. Like there were, I felt like there were decisions that were harder in this game than this one. Um, and to me, I thought like, like Chloe makes the case herself strong enough where she's like, you need to do this. You, it's, you should kill me or let me die so that none of this happens. And maybe if she was like, let's get out of Like if she made a case for herself, like other than like, she wants you to do it or at least she like acts like she wants you to do it. Um, and then when you just do like the, I don't know, math isn't the right word for it. But when you, when you think about it, it's like this entire town and everyone that's alive in there, um, and mostly innocent. And as we've seen good people for the most part, like, it, I, it just it's it makes the most sense to do to I, I expected and was frankly angry that they didn't give me an option to flash back to the beginning and sacrifice Max to save Chloe. I thought that would have been uh, more more true to Max's outlook because at this point Chloe was the most important thing in Max's world. Absolutely, um, like she was. She was everything to her. She had she was she was tearing apart the world. She was going through hell to save Chloe. And I I just felt like I couldn't have like having played through that scene, the the whole whole last half of the of the game, you know, multiple episodes, the whole thing was about Max fiercely fighting to save Chloe. And I just I just couldn't watch her die like and it, it was I was emotional about it and I do feel like the game like it, it has some faults here and even this ending which emotionally affected me pretty strongly it wasn't perfect there's some flaws here it's not I mean but but ultimately I have to say like this game is this game is really like it, it worked on me emotionally I was like I was upset I was like yeah. I was like really upset at the world. You know, I was like, this game is forcing me to make a choice that I don't want to make. Either choice seems shitty. And, and I, I made the choice and I decided, damn it. I'm glad I did it. I, I, you know, I was like, Chloe is the most important thing. All those other people can go to hell. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, like I, I said, I made the decision quickly, but that didn't, way on me any less i i've spent i had a lot of time uh i haven't really talked about it in the podcast but i was uh left one job and started a new job and in between that time i pretty much played all of life is strange and it has been a a heavy game on me i've i've thought a lot about it um and i would say that i can't think of another game that i've played that um made me think like this game did made me uh as connected to, in in this type of way to characters and while i 
ultimately decided to kill Chloe, um, it wasn't like sacrifice Chloe. Yeah, sacrifice <laughs> Chloe. It wasn't like a beep boop bop. Math adds up. You know, Chloe does not equal a whole town. Um, it was. It was a it was a heavy scene. I, I I do think there were heavier scenes in the game than this one. And there's just a lovely mechanic introduced in the uh, fourth episode when you see a bunch of photographs that you've seen throughout the game replaced. And if you choose to sacrifice Chloe, you see those photographs that you've seen throughout the game that you've taken throughout the game be replaced with pictures of. Chloe's funeral or people sitting alone. Um, and you go to the funeral. It's really affecting. It is sad, yeah. But you also see a butterfly and you see a, a sunrise and you see that you've saved a town that would have been destroyed. Mm-hmm. So I think one advantage of this game over some other games that I've played with multiple endings and a good ending and a bad ending is that the game goes out of its way to validate both endings. Yeah. And in a sense, it's really a game, like, with that ending in place, like, you know, letting Chloe go in order to save the day, so to speak. What the game really adds up to is a story about accepting loss, you know, accepting, like, and and, you know, maybe in my main playthrough, I did see the other ending. Maybe in my main playthrough, I decided, no, I reject this. I, I will not lose her. But the game really is sort of about, you know, Max loses someone who, while she had drifted out of her life, was incredibly dear and important to her. And then spends the entirety of the story of the game struggling against that fact. And watching her friend die again and again and, and struggling even more to, to, to save it and to to, you know, deny that this is happening or to reject it. And then essentially the end is kind of her accepting it. And structured that way, I think it's, you know, it's, I think it's got something going for it there. Like it's sort of about this, about about dealing with loss. It's really meaningful to me to see Max sacrifice Chloe knowing that she is, losing all the possibility that she's just explored. I mean, the she's also sacrificing her power. So it's saying everything that I've experienced in the last week, the highs and lows, the craziness, I mean, all the madness that's happened isn't worth the lives of innocent people. It's very much a, you know, a hero's sacrifice. And I applaud the developers for um, loading each choice with you know, each choice, if you take it, feels like the right decision. And most games will make you feel guilty as hell for picking what they decided is bad. Mm -hmm. This game doesn't give you that judgment. Yeah, even the Telltale games, who do a great job. I like all the Telltale games. Uh, The weight or, like, the impact doesn't... um, I'd say this game feels a lot heavier even some of the like lighter decisions in this game um, feel more complex. Yeah, and th- and that's interesting because there's so many ways in which like The Walking Dead, for example, is like technically superior. The writing is better. There's so many ways that that game, you know, you can recommend it over um, Life is Strange, and yet just on a on a, I think it really just comes down to subject matter. 
like there's never been a game before I think made that was so so much about just these this this sort of character this sort of like struggle like it's so it's so down to earth and personal despite all of its time powers and murder mystery it's it's a it's a game that's really walking some new paths here and so even though it has all these little flaws like i i think it's really an important game well and i feel that i know max even though in a lot of ways max is whatever you want max to be um feel more connected to max than pretty much any other video game character i can think of like I can't think of one that I've had. I've felt more um, in touch with, I guess, or aligned with. Yeah. So in that mode, I have one kind of universal question for the series. I'm wondering what was your hardest decision? I don't know if I can answer that immediately. I mean, for me, it was who to blame for Kate's suicide. I agonized over that decision, and I almost picked Jefferson, Hmm. and now I wish because it would have made me feel self-righteous if I had picked Jefferson, but I I picked Nathan, but I agonized over that. I, I, I I had a lot of thinking about this, and I wish I'd have chosen the pancakes. Mm. <laughs> Eggs and bacon every time. Come on. <laughs> um, you know, one that, and, you know, I know Reagan's not going to care about this, but uh, of the more recent he has no ones, soul. of the more recent ones, it was whether to let Warren entirely beat the shit out of Nathan or not. Oh, yeah. That was really um, an interesting one. Yeah. That was, that yeah. was rough because, like, I thought, you know, Max won't, you, you don't want, Max wouldn't want, Warren beating the shit out of Nathan. But if if he doesn't, Nathan walks away with the gun. So mm-hmm. there's an yeah, element to it where it's like Chloe has mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, where Chloe has the gun. So either Nathan or Chloe has the gun and they're both loose cannons. Anybody with a gun in this game is a loose cannon. Well, and Chloe for me get a gun. It was the uh so that was the gun that Chloe bought to Frank. And it, so if I had not cuz I let Warren beat the shit out of Nathan, because I thought, you know what, my at that point I was all in on Nathan going down. I was like, this like Warren doesn't have to worry about anything because I'm bringing down Nathan, and part of him going down is getting his ass kicked by by Warren. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that allowed Chloe to have uh, the gun, which then would ultimately be the gun that shot Frank. So I was like, oh mm-hmm. my god, what have I done? I wonder since Chloe in my game had David's gun, I wonder if I'd let him beat the shit out of. Nathan, if Chloe would have just double had had double guns. guns. Yeah. <laughs> uh, an, another one that I did have a hard time with, um, and this is also in chapter uh, five, is um, we didn't we we kind of glossed over this as we've been kind of speeding through chapter five because most of it can be, but um, ultimately David uh, is kind of the main reason that you do get out of the dark room uh, one way or another. And if you have the choice of whether to tell him Chloe was killed or not, um, and if you tell him Chloe was killed by Mr. Jefferson, he will then just go and shoot on, like, Jefferson is on the ground knocked out, and David will walk up and shoot him in the back of the head 
if you don't tell him he was killed, then he doesn't do that, and he just like that was, presumably that was a calls tough the, one. Yeah, calls the police, and Jefferson goes to prison. Um, did you guys? I'm assuming everyone had that come up. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought very, very hard about letting David kill Mr. Jefferson um, because I thought David wouldn't get in trouble for it. I'm sure there would be a million different ways that it would be fine. Um, and Mr. Jefferson, like that's like that's fine. But then I thought about like that may ruin David's life, and there's no reason he should have to go through that. And I'd rather Mr. Jefferson have to face the shame of. This was the first time that I let a decision stay based on the decision. So you know, it, it was tell the truth or don't. Mm-hmm. I told the truth. There was a murder caused results, and it was one of the only times I let it stay. Yeah, surprisingly, I would have thought that this would have been more split or less split. Actually, I would have thought that more people would have, you know, not wanted David to kill uh, Jefferson. But actually, fifty-three percent didn't let him kill Jefferson, but forty-seven percent did. That's a pretty even split. So, um, yeah, wow. Yeah, there's a lot of really tough choices throughout the whole game, but um, yeah, that those those do stand out. In my mind, in a future five years from now, I'm 120 pounds, and I never get hung over because I will be. Well, I have to say that I'm really glad we decided to do this game for the show i might not have picked it up otherwise but uh i think it was maybe one of the best games of the year now we're coming down towards the end of the year and um i mean it stands out to me as for sure the uh the best sort of narrative adventure style game that i played this year at least um if uh I mean, it's almost pointless for us to say at the end of a, of a podcast this long uh, where people can find the game. You've already downloaded this game, dear listener. If you have any games that you think are interesting and you want to recommend them to us, we really love those sorts of recommendations. And, and many of the upcoming episodes that will be coming to you shortly will be about games that were recommended by listeners, either on our website through our contact form at or, uh, or info at theshortgame.net, or on Twitter, at underscore shortgame. So get in touch with us any one of those ways and let us know if there's anything that you think we should be checking out. I've been your host, Reagan Kelly, and you can find me on Twitter, at Reagan K, that's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Laura, where can people find you? You can also find me on Twitter, at Laura J. Nash. And Nate, where can people find you? On Twitter, at NateSTL. And thank you once again for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. And mine.